What's up, people? Welcome to Rebranding Safety, episode 16, Noise at Work. As you probably picked up in the last podcast episode, we've got our first guest, Stephen Melvin. So it's quite a long podcast. We're going to get straight into it. But just quickly, make sure you listen to the end. There is a little bonus subject on diversity or lack of diversity in the health and safety industry. Let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We need an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. So today in the podcast, we've got Stephen Melvin, hails out of Corby in Northamptonshire, local to the podcast, earning stripes in previously in retail logistics and now food manufacturing, also a blogger. So Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, blogger is a rather grandiose term um, for that one fantastic article and very well received article. Um, but yeah, something I enjoy doing. I've got more planned, but safety's just getting in the way safety and parenting is getting in the way at the minute so uh safety so yeah, and parenting. They're, yeah they're on the back burner <laughs> <laughs> what's it like being a safety professional and a parent of that is that are you over the top are you more conscious uh, I, always, I, say? I say this to everyone it's occupational safety that i deal with so um if he's running around with scissors um that, that's on his head he needs to learn <laughs> fair enough like it so today we're going to talk about noise at work then uh noise at work personally for me i don't know if you listened to the last podcast but i'm actually hard of hearing yes i did like fully deaf and i couldn't i couldn't put it down to to anything specific but i think when i was in college i was um i was uh gonna aiming to work in theater so i did quite a lot like gigs and sound engineering and stuff like that okay um put put like your head your ear right up to the speaker see if you can hear clicking um, which apparently was a good idea, uh, and I, I think that's where it came from because it was always my right ear that I put up to it, and it's my right ear that's that's took most of the damage. Yeah, I'd say that that's definitely linked. Yeah, I think so. And then um, and then moving into manufacturing as well, we used to have um, some of the stuff and the control measures that we'll talk about in a bit. But um, I can't I can't uh, sue the um, the company that I used to work for because it's um, a really good friend of mine. <laughs> to work for him um, and, uh, yeah he's a really good friend of mine and I wouldn't want to sue him but <laughs> I never even thought about it but when I think oh, do you know what I could do with a holiday I think if yeah I sue someone for my hearing then it's I'd... a good ace to have in your back pocket isn't it that one yeah well I think I'm over the three-year gap I think I was diagnosed about <laughs> in a half years ago but I'm not okay. sure okay Anyway, so missed that boat. On my, my kind of research, then I found out that like n- noise at work, liability claims um, cost the NHS around five hundred million per annum, which I thought was just absolutely nuts. Well, it's a lot of money for that. That links into a lot of other areas of safety that aren't sort of managed properly. Um, you see the stats come out from the HSE every year where they start talking about what safety's costing and what you think, well, potentially we could save as safety professionals. Um, yeah, it's quite a scary amount when you see it. You yeah. see it there, isn't it? Yeah, and then and then it costs the economy like five to seven billion per annum as well. It's just nuts. 
Like we could we could do with that money, really. I know on. it's um, <laughs> I it's an unfathomable amount of money, isn't it? Crazy. <laughs> and, and for some of this, I well, I think most stuff is quite easy to manage, but I think noise is quite easy to manage. Yeah. But then as well, what's one million workers in the UK exposed to injurious noise levels? So that's that's just nuts. That's yeah, crazy. I found that out. I did a sort of presentation for our um, factory management team on noise, um, which we'll talk about in a little while, I imagine. Um, and yeah, that was a stat that I came across that I thought that's just like ridiculous mm. numbers again. I think when you start getting into sort of tens and hundreds of thousands, that's when stuff figures start sort of losing um sort of appeal to people because they're hard to sort of work out and sort of um make sense of mm. so then when you start getting into millions and billions it's just like normal people can't comprehend those sort of those numbers so um right. so yeah seeing it like that, it's like wow yeah you know, it would be good actually if I'm, I'm nowhere near good enough with money and, and numbers but it would be interesting to see like the five to seven billion per annum it costs the economy what what that is and joe blogs in our wallet yeah that two pence three pence 50p two pounds yeah that would be interesting I yeah i could do that but no <laughs> excuse me so it, the regulations around control of noise is could is the control of noise at work regulation 2005 that the noise reds essentially and when i was when i was just double checking stuff on that you know again as per everything Stephen, i find it quite simple it yes. essentially says the same, in my opinion, as the Health and Safety at Work Act, which is just like assess risk and take action on the risk. And that essentially, that was it for me. Yeah, it's um, like, like the riddle one last week. It's quite prescriptive. It only comes in if you have a reportable accident or now these noise regs only come in if you've got uh, injurious levels of noise, which is black and white, to be honest. Like mm -hmm. people say, and we were discussing before you start recording, some areas can be grey. But it's how it's worded, whereas this is quite sort of black and white. If it's mm. over a certain level, you've got action to take. And yeah. then there's a couple of points then that fall in. So, um, so yeah, it's a nice, easy one. It's quite simply worded yeah. as well. It doesn't take too much dissecting to, to get to what you need to do, mm. which is a nice change. I think yeah. some safety legislation does get a bit complicated. Yeah. Um, it's like why it's wordy, isn't it? Yeah, it's like why use ten words when a hundred words will do. I see. And the point of the podcast, you kind of just take all that that important stuff out. But if I'm honest, the HSE guides does that. Uh, yeah, in my opinion. Oh, did you quite... use their guides a lot? Or I do. Um, what I'll do is I'll go to the regs first and see what I can decide for myself. Um, if it's some of the things like we're talking about uh, noise, riddle vibration those sort of things don't require a huge amount of sort of dissection they're quite black and white the ones where it's a bit more sort of nuanced uh, and wordy well then we'll hit the guidance and sort of see what what the examples are and things like that or if it's an area that i'm not sort of vastly experienced in then i'll hit i'll go to the guidance as well and sort of get some support from that and do the research that way and talking to the HSC guidance center, I mean, in their guidance, they, they basically just say assess, take action, provide hearing protection, make sure you don't breach the, the legal limits, which we'll touch on in a minute, provide information, instruction and training, and carry out health surveillance where, the, where there's a risk to health. And that, for, for me, that's, that's pretty simple. I suppose the bit people don't know is the legal limit, unless you went and found it, sorry, you wouldn't be aware yeah. of it. So I suppose, I don't know for you, but like, 
when when working in a business if you say if you own say a small manufacturing unit you know when's the point do you get to when you think actually this might be a bit loud i think it's what do you know when you go on a night out no i'm not that do that much anymore um but when you're younger and you come back from a night out and you have that ringing in your ears yeah yeah that and you'd sort of think ah oh, that that's annoying because it affects you sort of if you went out on a friday it'd be the whole weekend your ears would be ringing and then mm-hmm. it'd sort of be back normal for monday i think if you were doing that and just never getting over it you think well oh, something's up here yeah this has yeah. got to be work that's doing this to me um yeah. and i think that's when you'd start looking at it but um a lot of the old school approach um, to those sort of industries, engineering, manufacturing, they'll be sort of set up in a little shed somewhere um, and they'll have their sort of machines running at full pelt all day. It's noisy. The guys are in their sort of 50s, 60s, probably in their 70s in some cases and have worked in that industry their whole life. They'll have fingers missing or parts of fingers missing. They'll Mm. sort of be hard of hearing. I think that's the sort of classic British engineer, isn't it? That sort of yeah, um, yeah. That's what they'd be that's like. That's interesting but, yeah. point. Actually, I wonder with with clubs and stuff. I wonder. I wonder. Do they even think about stuff like that? Interesting. <sighs> I wouldn't have thought so at all. Yeah. Um, the only yeah. person I think that would think about it is the uh, the DJ. Maybe. Yeah. I think they're I sort think of. In my experience, DJs want to put louder as loud as they can go. Yeah. It's, it's a two meter rule. So if you can't have a conversation with someone from two meters, you know you've got a sort of to look at your noise issue. So when you're sort of right up in someone's ear, shouting in it, yeah, it's not. I think that's the sort of uh, levels when you should start looking at it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So I suppose then what we're kind of talking about the noise levels and it, and for for anyone that doesn't know, it's measured in decibels, and you'll probably know this inside out, Stephen, with your kind of workplace. And then you've got the the weight measurement, the A's and C's, um, which is basically average and peak from the easiest way to sit to explain it yeah um so when i was looking through it you know the, the exposure of noise of, of your employees averaged over a week or day that they give you levels basically so there's a lower exposure limit um action value so daily or weekly which would be your a um it's 80 decibels and then your peak which would be your c is 135 decibels so that's why 135 is quite a lot of decibels uh, it's, it's, it's quite loud yeah uh, you, you'd know that's going on around you for sure for sure i mean 130 decibels is a jet taking off yeah and you see the guys down when they're doing the waving of the things they've yeah. got some nice big cans on haven't they so yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah luckily for them so so you, i mean that that's a loud noise i don't I, 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 from my experience in manufacturing i don't think we ever hit anything like like that even our peaks were nowhere near that i think we were coming in at around 80 which is why we, we took some steps but yeah. and then i mean you go up to your upper exposure limit you're hitting 85 and 137 so there's only five decibels added to the to the lower and then five my maths has gone now <laughs> two two decibels. <laughs> it's early on a sunday morning give me a break <laughs> how how do you how did you go about kind of Within, within your manufacturing kind of unit? and hi- Was it already highlighted when you started there that there was a noise issue or did you highlight it when you started? Yeah, it's quite a sort of mature business there. Sort of 30 years old where I'm working currently. So yeah, we're a food manufacturer um, and there was noise assessment in place um, when I started there. Um, Home protection is mandatory throughout the factory. 
and a couple of other areas, sort of the boiler room. Um, we've got some uh, plant outside as well that need it. Um, so we know it was, we knew it was our biggest exposure, sort of the business were sort of aware of that. Um, so we give everyone earplugs. That's how we're sort of managing that day to day. Um, so yeah, when I started though, I, we did the assessment. There was a few of the findings that was a bit, um, cons- flagged up a few concerns with me and some of the readings. So we redid that uh, tail end of last year. Um, we did that ourselves. I did that myself. I've sort of, I've done um, noise assessments in the past on spot readings and developed uh, sort of control measures out of that. Um, so we bought a new noise meter, sound level meter and sort of had it all calibrated, etc. So yeah, I went out to the factory. Our operation's pretty steady day to day with what they run. Um, so the same number of machines tend to run every day. Yeah. Um, so noise levels are quite consistent. So we took the read-ins. Um, I've got sort of machines shut off in sort of areas where they might, at one point at peak, we've got a room um, that's got four of the same machine in it. And that's one of our sort of higher risk areas. Um, so we did the readings with one, two, three, and four machines running, um, just to make sure that we had plenty of data to work with, uh, make sure we're getting the right measures in place uh, for controlling the noise. Um, one of the good things about our uh, building, um, it's not a wide open shed, so the noise isn't carrying sort of hundreds of meters down the factory. They're all in sort of self-contained rooms, um, got nice high ceilings as well, so the noise sort of dissipates. Um, which is quite good, um, but like I said, noise protection is mandatory in the factory. So it's the earplugs. We've got two areas where the readings were um, over 105, about 105, 107. So this is where we have wow. ear defenders are worn in those areas. So um, higher rating than the plugs, and uh, just sort of the people that are based in there have to wear them. they're like the the cans the big ones yeah that's right yeah yeah. like you'd see the people on the runways wearing so um and we'll talk about how they're rated um uh, a little bit later but um so yeah the guys that are based in there wear them all the time the earplugs the rating they've got people that are going in and out sort of all right to wear them um for just sort of visiting or sort of dropping in uh ingredients etc so do you um, do them assessments, sorry, do you do them assessments yourself? You say you got a decibel meter, so do yes. you get consulting in, you do them within your business? No, I've, I've worked with people in the past that have had sort of sound professionals in on sort of the, um, doing the full sound uh, and noise risk assessment. Um, and the readings aren't too dissimilar to what I've yeah. done doing spot readings as well. Um, one of the useful things about them is they tell you how sort of the noise moves around the premises mm. and i think if you're having sort of ongoing health issues a full assessment like that would be necessary yeah um, but i think if you're controlling it and you're sort of doing your health surveillance and you're not having any issues it's not getting flagged up as your control measures are working yeah i think we're sort of all right at the moment i think if we I went down the route that yeah the health surveillance started saying oh we're having these issues I think that's when you get sort of one of the sort of more professional sort of focused on the noise would be, would yeah. be when it would be relevant for it's us. Trying to do it like a tiered approach kind of thing. I like that. I like that. Yeah. And um, noise assessments aren't cheap either to get no. the, the sort of professionals yeah. in. It's a, it's a big project and a big sort of cost. So, um, so yeah, this is definitely the first step. I think most mm. businesses would need to 
or should do rather than just going out and sort of spending thousands of pounds and then getting back a report that they can't make head nor tail of because <laughs> yeah. there's so many sort of equations and stuff yeah um it's yeah they're not the easiest to read even the summaries which i think most people would just tend to read to sort of get a rough idea of what they need to do they're still sort of mind-blowing. yeah <laughs> yeah for sure i think you, you touched on it a, a minute ago about you, if you've got your own decibel meters i suppose there's a cost there of keeping that calibrated so yes how, how, how do you do that do you get that sent away somewhere <clears throat> yeah the um the company that we bought it from do the calibrations as well um yep. So, yeah, it's an annual calibration. Um, it'd probably be this risk assessment. We wouldn't review it more than uh, probably every few years. Yeah. Um, and that's just because I think once you start getting that fair, it's good to have a look at things, how processes changes overall um, with risk assessments. But with noise, if we got a new bit of kit in, we do it then because we need to see how it affects the rest of the room. Um, and the rest of the operation that it's in but yeah sort of getting it calibrated before it's used we we would do otherwise it just be mm. it could be a useless bit of kit we don't know sort of how yeah for sure what the lifetime of the, the product is to be honest um so yeah that's what we do with that one nice one so you know essentially if you got if you got that decibel meter which is obviously a cost and, and keeping it calibrated is obviously a cost and then but then if you've got if you've got kind of i suppose it depends on the size and the, of your your undertaking your operation everything but it, it's quite reasonable for, to expect a business owner to be able to do that within their business themselves like you're doing you know especially if they've got a health and safety professional i suppose that professional could do it themselves like like yeah. you're saying i mean what my previous experience working in manufacturing we did exactly the same as what you're doing you know we had our own decibel meter we did regular monitoring of that we did health surveillance etc um <clears throat> and then from there you know we would just work quite closely with hr who would highlight any kind of changes in the health surveillance and stuff like that so i suppose a relationship with hr is quite important when um when health surveillance comes in if you've got a hr department i suppose yeah yeah definitely yeah. it's um yeah, is those two go hand in hand, don't they? HR, sure. Oki Health, uh, Health and Safety, all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, we've got a good relationship with HR. Um, yeah. I think it's good as a health and safety professional to have a good relationship with everyone. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you are the stereotypical guy that sits in the IOSH meetings that we see <laughs> hundreds of people, like sure. clones yeah. of each other. Um, yeah, you got which you. I think, yeah, everyone's mate that's it with their clipboards um so um so yeah i think building the relationships one of the most important things with safety um because yeah. people listen to you if you're sort of even just semi-likable um and not <laughs> sort of stopping them from doing their job they're getting pressure from people um the last thing they need is you coming up and sort of adding to that pressure yeah um, sure so i suppose we just talked talk to then about the the assessment essentially and just kind of working out if we've got a problem around noise if we have got a problem what that problem is and just to quickly jump back over the values so the lower expense the lower exposure is 80 uh the peak sound is 135 and then the upper is 80 but then we've also got legal limits so really stuff that we can't that you must not legally exceed so 87 and 140 and it sounds like actually Stephen you, you had quite high levels at your your thing so that must be on your radar quite quite heavily those, those yeah. limits definitely so yeah the I think 
the sort of limits I've been aware of since sort of doing my Nibosh general back in <laughs> yeah. 2011, it would have been. Um, so, yeah, I've always known the sort of limits and what we need to be working to. Um, the sort of the peaks in the troughs um, of, say, of the noise. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to sort of um, control them all the time or sort of what, what other issues can we introduce or other controls can we introduce rather than just hearing protection. Because mm-hmm. um, that, that, that's the sort of simple way of doing it, isn't it? Give everyone earplugs, sure. give everyone their defenders. Um, and you can't, without looking at the um, sort of the root cause the problem, which is what as safety professionals we really should want to be sort of dealing with um, whenever we have sort of something like this. Due to the uh, operation we have putting in sort of, um, people need access to the machinery. There's nothing we can really do about that. They need to be getting in there, putting in mixes, putting in ingredients. So segregation is kind of out out of the window. Yeah, out the window. We can't do that. Um, A lot of the uh, equipment is sort of we have sort of covers for it that go over when sort of the final mix is everything's in and then it's getting mixed up and it's sort of they're left to run for a certain amount of time um but yeah when they're doing putting in the ingredients that's when they're sort of exposed to the the highest sort of peaks of the noise then um due to it being a food production site as well sound absorption sort of up on the walls things like that it's sort of a, not a feasible option either um oh, okay. it's a lot yeah, so we need to keep okay. quite a sterile site. So everything that goes into the factory is sort of ran past our QA and technical team as well. Um, so having a good relation, like we said before, about having a good relationship with HR, we need to have a good relationship with a team that are running the food safety side of things as well. Um, and that's the sort of big team um, that have quite a lot of sway, rightly so. They're, they're keeping the sort of product safe and making sure that what goes out um, is meeting the food manufacturing laws and food safety standards because yeah. um, without that we wouldn't have much of a business going forward so they're doing sort of great work to keep us um, compliant there um, so yeah we need to make sure that everything that goes into the factory they're happy with it needs to be of a certain standard as well um, needs to be sort of a lot of the time metal detectable non-perishable um, so yeah it's quite hard sometimes finding it's wow. not just a case of nipping down to sort of the local work equipment provider and buying a set of gloves or a set of cans. They need to be a source, certain spec uh, wow. to meet our requirement as well. So that's always good fun. Wow. So I suppose maintenance of the machines is quite a big thing for you from obviously from a, ha- a hygiene point of view. But I suppose just general make good maintenance of a machine can dramatically reduce noise levels. Yeah. So I suppose for you, that that's, is that one of your biggest control measures or, or your most impactful control measures? Yeah, we've got a PPM that runs um, regularly. So we've got an engineering team that's about, I think there's about 20, 22 engineering, nice. uh, engineers that run sort of work constantly. So it's a 24-7 uh, operation that we have and we've got engineer cover for all of that. Um, so yeah, they're sort of in there responding to sort of doing reactive maintenance as well as required um, to keep the to keep the sort of uh, product going out the door but yeah also sort of doing the planned in stuff as well so stripping down uh, lines sort of mm-hmm. refurbing them from scratch that's sort of ongoing for the guys um, and yeah like you say keeping the equipment running well even just simple things like keeping them greased up is, 
as they need to be mm. can sort of take away some of the noise there so um so yeah it's sort of a, a multi-pronged attack on mm. noise one of the problems like you're saying about it being a sterile environment there's just nothing there to absorb the noise in certain rooms so that doesn't help when you've got um sort of some quite big name clients that come in and do regular inspections and they're looking at sort of hygiene they're looking at sort of safety standards now a lot of the ethical audits are coming in and sort of looking at how the staff are treated as well as sort of the production side of things um it's uh yeah you've got a lot of factors there that you need to consider when you're putting in any control measure not just for the for the noise Mm. so that you can get like um you can get like um noise absorption pads and stuff to sit on like feet of machinery and stuff i suppose that is that out the window as well for you as, as well from a high yeah fortunately because the machines are probably weigh well over a ton some of them right. um so getting them pads up to clean them regularly would be a impossible. big yeah impossible job to do it wouldn't be sort of feasible for us to have a crane in there lifting equipment every every night because it's every night the equipment's turned off stripped mm. down and sort of cleaned ready for the next morning um so yeah doing that it'd just sort of be impossible for us to for us to do yeah so do you have like quiet zones like lunch area and stuff like that's completely s- separate from the manufacturing again obviously probably for hygiene readings but from a noise point of view they, they call it like refuges don't they? yeah like yeah so. the the canteen so all the rest areas are outside of the factory so it's double door they've got a sort of boot wash hand washing station to go through and then they'll be in sort of the canteen and sort of changing rooms and they can go out and sort of uh, smoke if they want to um so yeah it's all sort of separate um there's no sort of external noise problems um sort of everything's contained within the building so um so yeah people can get away from the noise when they need to throughout the day so I suppose the kind of the most common control measures like we've just kind of gone over is like maintenance, segregation, things like barriers and walls. But obviously that's a problem for yourself. Refuges, noise absor- uh, absorption, kind of pads and padding and stuff like that. PPE, uh, buy quiet policy. I don't suppose like for tools, maybe from your engineering point of view, I suppose it would be like a drop in the ocean, really, I suppose, to have a noisy drill in your area. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yes, the, the the equipment when they're out doing the sort of um, using any sort of power tools, you can't in some areas you can't even hear the drill going. Um, yeah. So um, because they've got the um, the PPE in place and sort of because of the noise we already have, mm-hmm. that's not something that we sort of looked at doing. Sort of those sort of um, reduced noise tools or anything like that yeah yeah i suppose having a, a good relationship as well with with staff or, or not relationship maybe like communication back and forth staff feeling comfortable to say do you know what i went home last night and my ears were ringing and stuff like that to essentially highlight risks or highlight hazards and stuff like that that that's quite important as well i, I would assume yeah sort of communication is probably <clears throat> the most difficult part of safety isn't it it's um doing the reviews of legislation, risk assessments, writing an SOP or safe system of work and getting out, that's easy. I can sort of do that all day um, if left to it, but getting the relevant information to your operatives and management team and giving them the information they need and support they need, sort of a, a challenge day to day. Working in a sort of production production environment as well, you've got um, sort of multiple um, countries represented there. so people with different levels of English. Uh, I can only speak English and not got any other <laughs> languages under my belt. 
uh, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, it's, it is sort of hard uh, making people aware of what they need to do, but keeping it clear and concise. We do regular sort of toolbox talks because um, the noise is such an issue. People are aware to sort of raise it, raise any issues they're having uh, with their PPE or um, yeah, if they're having issues with the hearing as well to raise it to their sort of team leader or area manager, whoever it may be, and or me when I'm out and about on the shop floor. Mm, mm. Um, I like getting out and sort of, talk, I like getting away from a desk and sort of going out and talking to people about safety. So uh, a lot of the people at our work so aren't shy about coming to you, so which is good. Um, mm. So yeah, you sort of hear about um, issues people are having, either through a colleague that they're close with, or if they're sort of more shy, they will sort of raise it with someone who they know will pick it up with us. Yeah. Um, sort of committee members we've got sort of a good committee out on our sort of operation as well okay. which is good so a lot of issues will sort of get raised through the through the committee as well so um yeah giving them that support is probably one of the most important things. i think getting back to people as well is an ongoing challenge with mm-hmm. when they're reporting their misses or issues they might have getting back to them in a timely way is something that i'm constantly pushing myself to sort of do better so um so yeah letting them know that they're not just sort of throwing what they're, they're sort of near misses into a big health and safety hole it's <laughs> never going to get looked at it's sort of uh important yeah that's a good point that's something i i always found was was important you know that kind of closure for the for the shop floor staff yeah that's mm. a good point so you <clears throat> you mentioned pp is quite a heavy part of your kind of control measures so yes I always found it it's um a couple of things one it's really scary how many people don't have a clue how to put earplugs into their ear um, yeah I think I learned that on my Nibosh course again so before that I'd wear them if um it was like I was at a sort of festival or something if it was noisy I put them into sleep but then the difference between putting them in properly to just push them in your ear is like night and day yeah, I think yeah. it's scary how many people um, are unaware, like how life changing hearing damage can be, and will willfully not wear their hearing protection properly. Yeah, yeah. And I, do you know what? To take it from me, I mean, I've only, I think mine is forty six or forty seven percent across both ears. My hearing loss, um, right, means I have to wear a hearing aid. But even with a hearing aid in one ear. You know, if I'm, if, say for example, yesterday I was watching the Six Nations in the pub, so I have to, I really have to concentrate if someone's talking. If there's that, that lot of background noise, yeah. it, it varies as well. Person, and everyone's different with hearing loss, but personally for me, it's um, different tones of voice. So, so women, I, I, I struggle with more, and young people because then their voices are naturally higher, higher. Yeah. Pitch. And it's the higher pitches I've lost. Now you could have lost the low pitches as well. You know, it it, it depends on you and the incident and whatever. But it, it does dramatically impact your life. It really does. And you really, you really want to think it. Yeah. You know, ha- from from having subtitles on on this TV. You know, personally for me, I was because my mum's completely deaf. I was used to having them. You know, my brother's got perfect hearing, but he has subtitles on as well. Um, because we were just we just so used to it. So when yeah. it, I found out later in life, so about I think I was about twenty. I must have been about twenty four. I think when I found out I lost my hearing, um, I was used to having subtitles anyway, so it's easy. But if you're not, 
it's really distracting. Yeah. So also, sometimes I find it can be a bit embarrassing. Sometimes people come around and you've got subtitles on. You know, it, it, it's an interesting thing. And like you say, people don't realise the damage and the effect it has. And it is a big effect. And if you go the whole way, you know, you know, I, I have had the privilege of playing rugby for England deaf. Um, and they've got some people in that team oh, that's profoundly deaf. And obviously, when you get profoundly deaf, that affects how you speak because you can't you can't um, hear yourself speaking for obvious things. And you know, it could be the point where you need to learn a new language. You know, you've got to learn sign language. There's so much yeah. things that it can affect you. It's it's unbelievable. One of the interesting story: my father-in-law was um, had to have quite a big operation. He was staying in a hospital not so long ago, and he was complaining that it was so noisy. So his his wife um, brought him some earplugs. And I went round and we went round to see him and just came up in conversation how noisy it was. And his wife said, um, have you put the earplugs in? He went, yeah, yeah, they didn't do it. I said, Tim, how are you putting in just out of curiosity? And he said, I'll just put them in my ear. And I said, no. He said, roll them up, roll them up in between your fingers so they're real, like, tiny point. Lift your earlobe up and push it in your ear. And he was like, oh, what's that do then? I was like, it puts them in your ear properly. <laughs> Two puts them in and then the next time... Them. Yeah, and the next time we saw him, he said it made so much, so much difference. So you know, you that's just that's just one or two nights in a hospital. You know, imagine yeah. the difference that would make in kind of your environment or any kind of manufacturing or construction environment. Um, it's really easy with the cans; you just put them on your head. Um, but yeah. with the earplugs, you know, they're supposed to be more comfortable. They're supposed to be easier and stuff like that. But you know, putting them in if you don't do it right. Other things I've seen people cut the ends off. I don't know if you've come across this, but I've seen. I've not people... seen that one. No. Yeah, people that don't like wearing them. I've seen them cut the ends off and just sit the end in their ear, so that it looks like you're wearing them. The trick is what you do is you go over to people and say, "Can you just shake your head to the side like that?" And then they fall out. <laughs> Crazy. Ah, oh, mental, mental so, that you risk it. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so the aim with hearing protection then is to get it to to eight eight less than 85 decibels at the year so when when buying hearing protection i suppose you, you by the sounds of it you must do this quite a lot um and it talks about a few things um like attenuation um single number rating systems so snrs um and hmls as well um so i don't know if, if you feel free if you want to jump in here and chime through it steve since you you buy them quite a lot yeah, so yeah, the SNR was probably the most important thing and sort of one of the um, key things I've learned going through this sort of noise exposure issue is that it's not just a case of all hearing protection is equal. Um, there are sort of different ratings and sort of they can be quite a significant sort of jump between two products that look exactly the same, sort of a yeah. set of earplugs. The foam ones um, can be massively different to sort of you know, the blue ones that have got the different, three different flanges on. Yeah. Um, you'd think earplugs are earplugs, ear defenders are ear defenders, but um, yeah, they can be massively different. So I think just buying one pair of cans off the, the shelf is not a, a good approach. You've got to, as part of your assessment, identify what level of SNR is required, which we've done in our um, which I've done in our risk assessment to sort of yeah. put in place. So this for this area, we need this SNR rating. For this area, this is what's needed. So we do it by, we've got three different types of hearing protection. Uh, we've got the plugs, 
um, which are SNR 30 something. Um, we've got the set of yellow cans and then we've got a set of green cans as well. So we know each area, what they need to be wearing and, uh, mm. and when. So, um, so yeah, it's quite a good, it's quite a simple number to work with as well. You take that number, the SNR off of the, um, the spot reading you've taken. And if it's less than sort of 85 or 80, you're good to go. But yeah, on the one at work, it's got the um, spot reading in the frying hall is, what would it be? 97, something like that. The SNR rating of hearing protection to be worn in this area is sort of 22 or 22 to 30, something like that, going off the guidance. So, um, so yeah, it's a nice, simple way to sort of to do it. Like you were yeah. saying earlier, noise is quite simple to manage as long as you've got the right data um, and you use the sort of the numbers on the products that you're buying. Yeah. So you take, the, you take the, um, to, for the sake of the listeners, and you take the, the kind of the number of decibels you've got currently in the room, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, and then you minus the SNR from that which would give you the decibels that it hits the, the ear at. So That's if you've right, got yeah. like 99 decibels in the room and your SNR is, is 19, you would minus 19 from 99 and that will bring you down to 80, for example. That's right, yeah. And some of the some of the guidance I read, it wasn't just on sort of HSE, it went sort of a little bit deeper. Um, and it said they take off another few decibels just for people not wearing it correctly as well. So, okay, yeah. um, That's a great idea. Yeah, so especially with sort of earplugs, like saying you can get lots of people that will not put them in right, um, or they might just not get their cans over their ear properly. So there is going to be that sort of leakage as well. So having something that's a bit over or takes you sort of maybe to 74, something like that wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, if that's what the SNR would take you to, but then there's always the case of if you are going over, you can't go too far over because people might not hear, your fire alarm or other emergency sort of alarms that are going on or they can start feeling uh, isolated and sort of just in their own little world which um you don't want people to be sort of feeling like that in the workplace you want them to be sort of involved and if they're sort of feeling that as soon as they put these ear defenders on it's like they can't hear anything yeah um then that, that's another issue you're going to have to start sort of working measures into further down the line isn't it yeah so there's um H- hml so bear in mind hml is really complicated it stands for high medium and low so does, uh, <laughs> does, does that come into it much so they're high medium and low frequencies does that come into the purchasing of it much or do you not do at the minute the frequencies that much not really i think that's the sort of thing that um like we touched on earlier the sort of the higher level noise assessment would start picking up those frequencies so if it's when we get the uh, noise surveillance um, done next, then we see there might be if there's any action areas that will sort of common areas we need to look at. It's probably the frequencies then you'd start looking at. I'd imagine with um, with what you need to what additional control measures you need to start looking at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've not had much, thankfully, on that because noise is confusing. <laughs> the actual the, the noise of how it works, how it moves, and things like that's quite sort of. <laughs> hard to get my head around yeah yeah i, I suppose i just i just have i'm conscious that i didn't actually explain what atten, attenuation means but attenuation is is that kind of um 
the process of losing noise energy that's what attenuation is so really when you're looking at your snrs your hrs and your protection and stuff like that what you're trying to do is create attenuation there so i suppose from 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 a base level and obviously your kind of industry is quite high end high impact noise it's high level no or high noise yeah. essentially um but for most people i think it'd be quite a simple solution you know it's kind of getting a decibel meter or paying someone to give you a, a, a real simple assessment what's the yeah. decibel number minus the smrs and and then boom we've got there you know there might not even be that you need to get <clears throat> that hearing protection they might be able just by maintenance or something like that to drop that noise level down without even needing um ppe I suppose a good point that I've always found interesting and also found quite difficult um, when I was in manufacturing was that <clears throat> the guidance kind of pulled you away from that blanket approach and they asked you to try and specifically target things. And I always found in manufacturing, Stephen, and maybe you're the same, that that was quite a difficult thing to sell to the management team, that they would rather, we said it, let's put it into context, we kind of had a collection of five buildings that were connected together and you could walk through them all one was offices one was warehouses one and then the last three were manufacturing <clears throat> once you got to that third the last three that was it hearing protection mandatory throughout the whole thing even though on the pathways which were at the edge of the building when we measured the pathway walking from the door to the other door for example you never hit any of the the lower exposure limits anyway so we never got anywhere near 80 decibels um so actually my argument was we don't need it and I, and I think we're creating that kind of negative approach and if people don't wear them because we were watching unfortunately this path was basically the way into the whole factory so you get office staff go in through the factory and then walk up to the office they would come in not put their hearing protection in <clears throat> and just walk through and i was saying just by doing that is creating that well I'm, i've been doing that for years and i've never got hearing loss so i think that's the benefit of not having a blanket approach but then from a business point of view and monitoring and stuff like that it can be quite difficult to target things or in their opinion it was quite difficult how do you find mm -hmm. that yeah blanket approach <coughs> is sort of quite difficult especially when we do have sort of 300 people on site that do require hearing protection um yeah, so yeah, it's difficult when you've got 300 uh, plus people on site who um, do require hearing protection, the operation requires it in all levels, um, to just sort of go, right, everyone gets earplugs, then that's that's the pro problem solved. I think by breaking down our risk assessment to the different areas and sort of looking at what SNR is required in the hearing protection, um, we've sort of tweaked it so it's specific for each area. It's not just a case of... Uh, our highest reading is 105. Everyone gets the top spec ear defender, no matter what areas, even if they're sort of working at 86 sort of decibels. Um, sometimes it can be the culture, though. If you sort of say, right, when you're walking around this area, you don't have to wear your hearing protection. Next thing you know, people are walking around that part of your building and into their job where they might be sort of welding or whatever, and mm. then they're just not putting their hearing protection on, or they think. Oh, I've got my hearing protection. I've got to go back to my locker to get it and then go back. So it's sort of, it can impact on productivity. Um, sometimes just having that sort of control can be a sort of a fine balance in line, isn't it? That this sort of culture yeah. thing. And it's a hard thing to quantify as well. So lots of people talk about having a sort of uh, safety culture. Um, 
and sort of wearing the PPE at the right points would fall into that definitely. Um, but yeah, sometimes the blanket approach can be easier for managing one area, which tweaking it a little bit, like we've done with sort of having the three different types of hearing protection for the operation, um, is definitely a good way of making sure everyone's protected, making sure people can get to the areas they work in without being exposed. Um, and it isn't sort of just a case of us, let's just go all in, highest rate and everyone gets that and then we can forget about it sort of thing. It's has been, each area has been sort of picked for its little subtle, subtle nuances, I think. And it's, um, yeah, it's a sort of a semi-blanket approach I think we've gone for Gosh. rather than just sort of giving everyone the same thing. Mm. But you've kind of thought about it, I suppose, and that's what the guidance is, is asking yeah. to do essentially, isn't it? But oh, yeah, it's a good point, I suppose. Is I think that's a very good point. I think culture is massive whenever you're using um, PPE as heavily as what, you know, somewhere like your your factory would be. Yeah. Culture is absolutely huge. I think, like you said earlier, that kind of multi-tongued approach of hitting noise, <clears throat> I think with culture, it's the multi-tongued approach of hitting noise and a multi-tongued approach of hitting slips and trips and the multi-tongued approach oh, of hitting yeah. And that kind of all those little things. And then we go to the non-safety specific stuff as, you know, kind of like leadership and stuff like that. You know, it, it's, it's so difficult and, and to, to actually get culture right, I think. Um, and I think essentially what it comes down to is, is, is loving your job. I think yeah. somebody, somebody made a good point when I was in a conversation with um, a friend of mine earlier and they were saying, you know, what you find people that say have a job in, I don't know, climbing mountains, for example, that's their job, right? They take safety really seriously. Well, why? Well, because the severity is so bad, you know, it goes wrong, fall off a mountain, dead, simple as. <laughs> and they said, but why, why does everybody still do it? And when, as we were talking about it, and I was like, you know, I think it comes down to the fact that they, they love what they do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they, they, they're doing their hobby. So and their hobby is climbing and part of that is wearing a harness or doing whatever. Um and because they love what they do, they don't want to die and they want to carry on doing it. Yeah. And I suppose culture part of that is about I always call it, call it like a family kind of feel. You know, if you find if you go to a business and that they all treat each other, they all call themselves family, I always find it's a much safer environment because naturally they protect each other. Yeah. yeah. But Definitely. it's just culture is something that a lot of people throw around as a word. Like, yeah, you know, we need to think about culture. We need to change the culture. And I think, do you actually get a full grasp of what culture is? Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And it, and it, yeah. And it's impossible to measure the culture yeah. as well. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's like you say, it's more of a feeling, isn't it? When you get that, you walk into a workplace, it's sort of clean, tidy. Mm. You can see people sort of having a sort of a laugh and a joke with each other. I think that the safety culture should fit in with the sort of full business culture. So yeah. it shouldn't just be a case of um, sort of we put shitloads of pressure on the company to get the product out the door. And everyone hates sort of doing their job because they can't have a laugh with their sort of workmates until it's break time. Um, they're just sort of constantly feeling pressure. But we act on all our near misses. Um, we've got sort of wet floor signs if there's a spill and people act on it straight away. All our yeah. training's up to date. I think it's sort of everything should be sort of hand in hand. Um, I think you said about it on one of the, the previous podcasts that um, sort of safety shouldn't just be that shouldn't just be sort of first priority. It should just be thought about 
in the bigger picture of things like it should be part of whatever project you're working on whatever you're doing day to day it should just be another factor you think of it doesn't have to be first if you're thinking about it just because you've wrote it down first on a on your meeting minutes doesn't really mean that you're a proactive safety culture it could just mean that you're getting it out the way first yeah Um, yeah. so yeah it's that sort of having it all in the the same melting pot um is is important i think yeah the culture side of things just having a good safety culture isn't a I don't, I don't even know, like, there's no way of measuring it. Mm. Well, um, it, it I, I suppose in theory, if you had a good, co- it, there's no, it's, it's difficult to manage culture specifically, but if you have, in theory, a good culture, then your your lagging indicators, like your accidents, your near misses should tend, well, your near misses would probably go up, but your, your accidents should probably come down, in theory. In but theory. It, <laughs> trying to find out the root cause of your accidents coming down is that your culture or is that something else you've done but then you could argue that well the stuff that we've done that brought accidents down is because we've got a good culture but i know what you're saying yeah but i think it's about just kind of that take a step back and look at the business as a whole and how does it feel how does the business feel and you know these are the kind of soft shit that are you know some old people that say oh you can't talk about you know yeah. the soft but like it is about you know what does it feel like i always found it quite interesting when i was talk, talking and in, in, when i was back in manufacturing it was one of the the better paid factories in kettering and everyone from outside the business was like you need to get there because they pay so well and I ended up getting a job there luckily and um everyone that worked there never once said you know we're paid so well here but they all said you know, when I started working here, we used to get hampers at Christmas with a turkey and a beef joint or a whatever, and two <laughs> bottles of wine, one red and one white, but we don't get that anymore. And and I think silly little things like that can affect your culture. And like you said, it's yeah, not yeah. a safety culture, it's a business culture, and safety is one part of that. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's that starts getting bad taste in people's mouths when they don't get their sort of leg of lamb. In, yeah <laughs> uh, in for easter um yeah. and yeah and then that start bad feeling starts creeping into other areas don't it and then it sort of spreads um throughout the business and yeah that's when you've sort of lost everyone and it takes a lot to to bring that back and i think that's quite an old school sort of approach isn't it giving people a hamper at christmas and yeah. um sort of other like points throughout the year um and yeah you don't see that much in in new companies or when yeah, you sort yeah. of go into a company, um, it's, you get the odd thing, Christmas, Christmas bonus potentially, but yeah, that sort of old school approach where um, you sort of go to the pub every Friday uh, with the boss or mm. sort of at Christmas time, they'd bring like a few bottles of wine in, sort of have a drink, it, finish at 12 and have a drink. Mm. That's sort of, um, I don't think that's around as much anymore. Just it's right. due to the pressures of the workplace now, isn't it? It's a yeah, totally no. different place to be. I suppose you, you mentioned it earlier about kind of like dissemination of information when we were talking about um, staff highlighting stuff back to you. So I suppose that brings us back to like information instruction and training, which again, obviously is a massive thing. It's specifically referenced in the regulations, uh, specifically mentioned in the in the guidance. Um, and actually it's, it's kind of a crucial cog in the machine of creating safety, I suppose. Um, so how, how how do you how do you work that because i suppose noise is quite big for you but i suppose, i suppose in some areas say let's say for example construction you know it might be a handful of specific tasks for example as part of a wider construction site and maybe your experience in construction might help um <clears throat> 
noise might be one part of their risk assessment or their training, for example. So, you know, how do you do it now in manufacturing? Do you have a noise specific training session or information instruction, whatever? Um, but then in comparison to maybe other industries where they might have noise rolled into an overall safety induction. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud. Um, yes. Yeah, so what we do currently, um, it's uh, part of the induction. People are sort of explain the noisy areas, what they need to be wearing in certain areas, um, and also how to put the earplugs in properly, <laughs> yeah. um, which, like you said earlier, is very important. Otherwise, you might as well not be wearing them. Um, yeah, I think we said earlier, communication is difficult, um, and getting that information, instruction, training out um, is sort of a big part of, uh, of a safety professional's job, isn't it? So um, we've got SOPs for everything, and they sort of touch on the... I've um, got a front page with pretty much site rules or factory rules. Um, so they're ran through, they're regularly reviewed uh, as well. So once they're updated, they're sort of briefed out. We've got a training department that do that across all the shifts. Um, like you said, updating those SOPs is easy, but rolling it out to 300 plus people is a bit more of a sort of time constraint. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so we've got the committee as well. So getting information out um, through them quite easy as well we have them monthly meetings um so we display information in the canteen as well we've got health and safety board that's obviously the most popular board in the canteen um <laughs> so yeah we can put sort of information up on that as we need it to um we've also got um weekly and monthly newsletters that go out there and we have to be uh putting safety messages each month so if we're sort of noticing a trend with regards to noise or um ppe not being worn or we're changing something they're quite well received as well those newsletters people do sort of come up and read them and sort of um take on board what's said so we put messages in there as well nice. um and going through the management team as well the factory management team so giving them the information they need to pass on to their guys or to know what to look out for when they're working in the factory is important as well not just from a sort of compliance point of view but from their sort of confidence point of view um they know that if they get a query from someone in the factory, they've got the right information to give them back or um, can point them in the right direction if needed. Mm. So it's kind of like that, again, it's that multi-tongued approach, isn't it? You know, oh, it's definitely. Kind of, it's not one magic wand. I just found as well, for me, it was, um, when, again, probably every, every everything I kind of do, is, I try to think that every opportunity as a safety professional, every opportunity is an opportunity, Every I'm messing up my own, um, <laughs> own here. Every every kind of meeting, visit, conversation is an opportunity for education. I always yeah. found so every conversation with everyone in the business is an opportunity. So let's say we're talking about noise, is to you know say, do do you know um, what the lower exposure limit is for noise? Nah, I just you know wear earplugs like I'm told to because the blue sign over there says wear it. Well, actually, it's eighty decibels. Finish conversation. Don't go to any more in depth. Just leave it there. Boom. You've dropped the number, but you've had an opportunity for education. Yeah. I suppose uh, you could probably call that coaching. Uh, a colleague of mine calls it coaching whilst walking, which, which I think is a nice, a nice yeah. uh, title, a nice buzzword. But that that I found was quite important. You know, and from anything with your meetings with the senior management team, all the way down for you know walking around the shop floor and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, like I said earlier, I like talking about safety and sort of. A big part of the job is breaking down legislation so it's understandable for people that don't have time to spend 
an hour reading through three specific regulations and trying to decipher what they say. So getting information, sort of ingesting it and sort of spitting out stuff that's useful for not just sort of senior managers and the sort of board of the company, but the guys on the shop floor can understand and use as well is is very important. When you're saying there about coaching by walking around, that reminds me of a, do you remember Dilbert, the cartoon? It's like the work, Gilbert. have you seen him? Okay, it's like so. a cartoon it's a work cartoon it's like oh, my dad had the books years ago and it's like it was a cartoon as well brilliant uh, i think scott adams that does it um does them but there's one <laughs> i've got a boss on it who um is going on about sort of uh, managing by walking around and he, right. and he said that he's walked to the far side of the, uh, the parking lot as American, the, the car park and back, and he's not seen any improvement. <laughs> so that coach by walking around reminded me of that. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely what I do, sort of out on the shop floor. Um, I think having the uh, having your sort of colleagues see you out on the shop floor and sort of paying interest in what they're doing, mm-hmm. and not just being sort of holed up in the office, um, which is sort of outside the factory and across uh, the car park. Um, from them so sort of seeing that i'm out there and interested in what's happening to them day to day i think is sort of hopefully they're taking it on board that i care um and not just think that i'm checking up on them because um I, I think if you're in this job and you don't sort of care it's uh you're you're, you're not going to get very far in it and it's not like it's a brand new sort of theory that uh, i care i want people to go home safe at the end of the day that should just be sort of obvious that everyone wants that i don't want anyone to go in there and sort of lose a finger or yeah, yeah. not not just for the paperwork that it caused me, um, but just from a sort <laughs> of moral perspective as well. Um, but yeah, I think sort of showing that you do care and sort of giving them time as well, because a lot of um, shop floor workers probably won't get time in their off sort of senior managers or the management team um, throughout the day. So sort of showing that you do care about what they've got to say. And like you're saying, acting if they are raising something that's relevant um is important and if it's not relevant explain to them why it's like that's Mm -hmm. not a a big issue you could deal with that yourself you're sort of empowered as well as an employee to do something in that situation um so yeah just giving people time that's what i like to do go out talk about safety go out and not talk about safety with people as well sort of build relationships it's um it's all good <laughs> yeah, All this I... while you're both wearing sort of ear defenders and you're shouting at each other <laughs> across a noisy line, adding it's, more noise. <laughs> yeah, just constantly being noisy. <laughs> oh, nice one. I feel I'm conscious that we've been talking a long time. I suppose when you get two safety professionals talking about safety, they tend to waffle. Oh, uh, just a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm conscious. I need do need to go make breakfast for my, for my wife and myself. So uh-huh. I think I might been... pop over. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. We've only got two slices of bacon, mate. So oh, not going to happen. I think we're going to fight that. Let alone anyone else. <laughs> I think uh, we've covered a hell of a lot of stuff there over over quite a niche area. Um, but I yeah. think it's been a cracking conversation, Stephen. Thank you. Yeah, very much. enjoyed it. Um, Thanks for having me. Keep up the great work. Really enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you found that useful. Stephen brings a hell of a lot of very specific, high-level experience and examples for us to to listen to and take away. Um, obviously, your industries will vary quite a lot, and you you might have nowhere near that amount of um, high-level noise to deal with. But there's some tips and tricks in there, and some conversations and some examples for you to take away and manage noise at work in your workplace. <clears throat> As per usual, if there's something you want to hear from us. 
um, there's something you missed or any questions about today's podcast, hit us up on Twitter at RiskFluent. Come find me on LinkedIn, James McPherson, or find RiskFluent on Facebook forward slash RiskFluent. Okay, so as promised, next we've got some bonus material here where me and Stephen got off on a little bit of a tangent towards the end of the podcast before saying bye about diversity in safety. Um, essentially, it's just a little bit of uh, tongue in cheek, but also, you know, it's a kind of advertisement for everyone out there. If you're listening to this and, you know, and you're thinking about a career in safety, come along. You know, we need more diversity. We need more different cultures. We need we, we need people of color. We need people. Um, we need ladies. We need just much more diversity. But anyway, we won't uh, give away the conversation too much. Let's um, let's get into this bonus material. Like you said. Two people talking about safety fantastic but yeah just listen to sort of someone who's i think you're on the same similar sort of wavelength to me yeah going by a sort of conversation we're having and listening to you so um yeah that stereotype of the sort of middle-aged white man with his clipboard his shiny <laughs> shoes his yeah. hard hat on yeah yeah i think dispelling that myth is very important these days yeah. especially when you've got Ooh, two hip it, yeah it's like jimmy they're so boring i've had a <laughs> seeing old white men like I'm, I'm hopefully fingers crossed i'm waiting for a confirmation of date but i'm hopefully going to a local school um in a few months to, to talk about health and safety how Excellent. it's not what you think it is it's, a, it's actually a really interesting career yeah come and do it but but not so much trying to convince you i'm, I'm essentially begging you to join <laughs> the industry because i'm fed up of talking yeah. to the same old white men like yeah we need women. We need cut people of different race and you know minorities and so everything because yeah. they all Definitely. bring their own ideas from their own cultures, their own everything, and, and that's what we need. We need more ideas. You know, I'm fed up with yeah. the same old crap. It's not, you know, we, we've got us to a real good position. You know, we've dropped. Um, I think I mentioned it in the um, Health and Safety at Work podcast, where we um, we we dropped. At, fatalities at work so much since health safety at work had come in but we've plateaued now oh, so yeah. for me, that means we need new ideas yeah we need new people new way of thinking and we're not going to get that if we keep getting the same old crap some yeah some bloke who's been an engineer for 30 years and now wants a nice tidy re- retirement in health and safety for five ten years and then yeah. he's fire. nah i've had enough of it yeah and also it. like having it as a career for me as well like people don't see it as a first career i quite like um iosh's uh, apprenticeship they started doing last year um having apprenticeships in safety yeah. trying to convince my boss to, to think about something like that and i, I love that i think that'll be interesting as well yeah but i think we're uh, getting off tangent i think we'll um, definitely have you back on the podcast Stephen, and probably talk about a career in health and safety maybe um yeah it's been very good i need to go get some breakfast so thank you very yeah. much thank you thanks for listening guys hope you enjoyed that bonus material catch you next week bye